Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now, new podcast this week. I'm Raghu Marcus. This podcast is called Loving the Form, this talk from Ramdas. Before we get into it, I just want to give a little reminder on a couple of things. One is there's still spaces left for the Ramdas Lama Surya Das Spring Retreat with Mirabai Bush and Duncan Trussell and myself will be there. And I want to just highlight the music is just phenomenal. I mean, it's a collection of incredible musicians. Of course, Trevor Hall is going to do a an inspirational evening concert. Nina Rao from Krishnadas's band is going to be doing the nightly chant. Benji Wertheimer and Shantala will be there doing morning chants and uh, music with Saraswati's yoga program. So quite a collection of uh, wonderful music to go along with the Dharma talks and meditation and yoga and so on. So that's May 4th through 9th. Go to ramdas.org and you can connect with Reg, the registration page, which will give you the, all of the broken down da- daily activities. So I encourage you to take part if you can. It's a wonderful event. Also take a look on ramdas.org coming up, uh, or this will be up on the site, the new collection of sessions sessions from the uh, spring retreat that we did last year, Cultivating the Courage to Love with Ramdas, Krishnadas, Roshi Joan Halifax. There's a really fun session with Duncan Trussell, actually. Um, Mirabai Star is a guest as well. And uh, it's nine sessions. It's a wonderful bundle that you can get that really... Uh, helps cultivate all of the different practices and methodology about how we can develop courage in our day-to-day life, which is extremely important. So there you go, a couple of things to look forward to. Uh, and now, loving the form. So the premise here from Ramdas is, he says, we trace this our uh, spiritual journey and we go from the psychological, economic, political universe. And then we find ourselves on the path, realizing that there is something else beyond what we've been handed by our society and culture. And we get heavily into the spiritual universe. And what we do then is reject the psychological, economic, and political uh, realities of life. And in that rejection, we are rejecting in a way, well, we are firmly rejecting our honoring of our incarnation. And uh, I don't know how many times back in the day, people saying, I don't vote. What's a vote? Get involved in political stuff. And I don't care about the economy. I'm going to make my own way. Uh, We did a lot of that back in the day. I think today there's a lot more consciousness, especially on behalf of millennials, who who do care and are. Look at what's happening with with, uh, our political situation, more on the democratic side, where all these young people are really supporting Bernie. Uh, It's just amazing. And... uh, so Ramdas talks about 
God manifests through forms. So one needs to appreciate and love the form that we were incarnate, incarnated into. We want to give the form space to be what it has to be. So uh, you know, the questions are, what does it mean to honor our parents, our work, our family, our country? What, what does all of it mean? Uh, and, and he talks about how we, uh, again, when we, and especially when we're newly embarked on the spiritual path, there's a way in which we hang back to protect what he calls spiritual virginity. And there's, you don't participate in worldly stuff. You don't eat food. He, he talks a lot about and gives a great example of being with his father where he let go of all that stuff and he would eat what his father liked to eat. And he watched how he was not participating or not wanting to participate in stuff because so, he wanted to protect himself. He talks about keeping, you keep taking a stance to protect yourself from the supposed contamination of the world on one's spiritual purity. Boy, do we all do that. I mean, I remember that quite well. I still do it. Uh, I still uh, get involved. uh, If there's a conversation that veers into something that is quite worldly, and at least on the, I mean, if it was about uh, basketball, I'd probably stick into it because I love basketball. But if it's something worldly, I'm not that... I'm like, okay, I don't really want to be involved here, and I don't participate. And uh, there's a way in which just still taking a stance to protect oneself. So in uh, here's a great example. So what he does, he ends up playing Yahtzee with his father and watching Mary Tyler Moore and doing all of this kind of stuff. And he, and he makes a point here. He says, how many Yahtzee games make a difference versus reading the Bhagavad Gita. If I sit in my room and read the Gita to protect myself from the supposed, quote-unquote, worldly activities my family's involved is in, and then downstairs, my, my dad's feeling left out. He's feeling bad because uh, his son is not giving any company. What would that mean? What use would it be sitting upstairs reading the Gita? This is a, what a great... Uh, point, and I don't know how many times we've all done that kind of thing. Um, so, and he talks about, instead of talking about this stuff, it's you become the product of your methods instead of talking about them. So, and in this way, um, he says, I should be able to play Yahtzee and be part of that environment of my family. As long as I have to be special if I want to be special, read. I'm a, I'm a person who sits alone in his room reading the Bhagavad Gita while my family's downstairs. If I'm that type of person, I'm pushing life away out of fear. I'm afraid of dying into the universe for fear it will contaminate me. Pretty incisive there from Ram Das. So uh, it's a great talk and it's quite funny too all the great examples he has of hanging out with his father and the, the involvement of his relationship with his father from the days that uh, he came back from India wearing that dress and he said, telling him his name, and he went, oh, yeah, Rumdum. And, but it came a long way, and, uh, and Ramdas evolved um, just tremendously over that period of time. Of course, I do remember back then. 
uh, what uh, what he was going through, especially with his with his dad and his family. So um, great talk, loving the form, and uh, thanks again, everybody, for the support to the Love Server Member Foundation, to Ramdas.org, everything we're doing. Uh, I appreciate it on behalf of uh, everyone, Ramdas included. And uh, please do continue to tune in to the podcast and uh, and and by the way, give your uh, get onto the site and uh, make sure you get onto our email list so that you can really be informed of all these wonderful things. We just finished this great mindfulness meditation course that uh, boy, over the last sessions. Uh, we had one uh, early this year and then one last summer talking over 11,000 people. It was really thrilling that uh, this many people participated. So do so and please go and sign up and um, and become part of the uh, community, the satsang, Ram Dass's satsang, along with all the friends from Krishnadas to Jack Kornfield and, uh, and on. So um, please keep tuning in and this is Ramdas here and now. If you trace the spiritual journey that many of us have been on, you will see that many of us went from a psychological, economic, political universe into a spiritual universe. And in doing that, we pushed away the political, social, psychological, economic universe as being yik. I have no business with it. And then if you follow our actions until who we are now, you see that most of us have found that we couldn't build our house upon sand and that we had to finally, what I call, honor our incarnation. That the way God manifests is through forms, and these are the forms. And if you're going to love God, you have to love the forms. And the first form you have to love is the form you happen to have incarnated into. And to love that form means to listen to it and to honor it and to give it space to be what it has to be. Somebody put up on the stage a picture which just blew my mind because I've never seen this picture before. Incredibly beautiful. It's a picture of me hugging my father. I, I have hugged my father probably, well, since I was, after, after I was a little child, since that time, probably in 45 years, I've hugged him maybe oh, two dozen, three dozen times. It's a very rare occurrence. It used to cause him so much pain when I first started to get into hugging people because it wasn't manly. And here is a picture of my father and I hugging And the reason it's particularly um, 
powerful for me at this moment is I've just come from spending a month with my father. My father is 81, and my stepmother is 62 or 3, and my step-grandmother is 92. And the four of us have been together for a month in a house in Maine, which we rented. Now, I've done this being with my father once a month now for several years because I said to myself, look, you have to honor your incarnation. And one of the aspects of your incarnation is that you are your father's son. And even though on some level that seems kind of funny, it happens to be part of what it's about, just like I have to honor the fact that I'm an American, I have to pay my taxes, I have to do a lot of stuff. And this is one of the things I must honor it. And then I had to figure out, what does it mean to honor it? What does it mean to honor it? What does it mean to honor parents? In, in Hinduism, at one point, I remember Haridas Baba saying to me, Ramdas, before you go any further, you must go back to America and get the blessings of your parents. And I thought, wow, what do you do in America? Hey, Dad, I want your blessings. I mean, really weird. It's just not a language we talk. I figured, well, maybe I could figure out another way of wording it. Do you approve of my doing what I'm doing? You know, something like that. And I came back to America, and I was with Dad, and at first he thought I was a complete nut. And then as the year went on, and a few years we were together, and the love developed, and we moved into another space. And finally I said, Dad, i got to go back to India. And he said, okay, I'll miss you, but okay. And I said, um, do I have your blessings? He says, you sure do. <laughs> See? Okay. And that was great. I mean, that was really, that was a jewel. That took three years of flipping around. You understand, because many of you have had to deal with the same issue, I think. I mean, it came from such a joyful place in him to do that. You know, because it wasn't me against him, it wasn't threat. So now in 72 or 3, when I came back from India, I wanted to honor my family because I wanted to honor my incarnation. I'm a Westerner and I wanted to, I'm living in the West. And so each year we would plan some different kind of a thing to do together. My mother had died many years ago, my father remarried. And what I would do is I would go with them somewhere, but then I would, there was a way psychologically inside myself where I'd hang back protecting my spiritual virginity. Like I'd go into my room and read holy books. Or I'd say, uh, no, I don't care for that food, thank you. And there'd be that look, you know, because that's an old family food that everybody always eats. <laughs> See, and come down and my father would say, hey, Rich, I've, been, I've decided to cook this. You know, he makes about three dishes, none of which are yogic. But he makes them with his own hands. It's my father. Does that what honoring father means? Do I have to eat that stuff? <laughs> no. okay. And so each year I've been sort of exploring that. I don't know how you're doing this business of the spiritual journey, but this is the way I'm doing it. I explore it different ways, and I get a certain stance 
that I'm comfortable with, and then later I see it was just another stance. And I see that there is nowhere to stand. I'm, I mean, I'm going to deal with some of these issues about becoming nobody and nowhere to stand and no stance. Because you keep getting these subtle stances to protect yourself. It's like, I want to do it, but I don't want to get contaminated by doing it. Do you hear what I'm saying? No. It's like... Uh, and. Uh, See, I used to wear uh, beads and clothes to sort of reassure myself and everybody else that no matter how corrupt I was, you knew basically, you know, I mean, I needed that sort of external reassurance for myself. And, and then people would treat me certain ways because they looked at me and they said, he's one of those. <laughs> See? And then I sort of gave up more and more of that, wanting to risk more and more. And now I'm down to just sort of this and this and... A number of times I've gone into various people who cut hair and I'd say, what do you say? Let's get rid of all this now. And they say, no, you'd look terrible without it. <laughs> so there we are. I'm, it's purely aesthetic now. It's not even spiritual. I tried. Now, each year, I haven't solved all these problems by any means. I'm just working on them. And this year, for this month, I just completely just let go. I just became one of those four people. We looked at the news. We looked at Mary Tyler Moore. We looked at, we played Yahtzee every night. We went out to dinner every other night. We um, had, because when you get to a certain age, all that's left is eating. So at breakfast, you're planning lunch. You know, and where are we going to go for dinner? And you just get, oh my God, have I got, you know, and you either can say, now look, folks, I've just gone as far as I can go. I mean, I need a few days of fruit or I'm going to fast today or something. And you say, after all, I've got a right to do that. I'm a member of this. I, they're all doing what. But I just thought for a change, I would say, look, Maharaji, you know, it's your problem. You protect me. I'm going to surrender. I mean, if this is God, let me surrender. I'll keep surrendering my form. So I just surrendered. So I have been doing all of this. If I never eat another lobster, it'll be too soon. <laughs> and me sticking a lobster into a boiling pot of water and saying, goodbye, lobster, you know. Om, 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 om. But if I'm going to eat it, I've got to be willing to kill it. And feeling the, the kind of horrible ugliness of so much of the stuff of this style of life. And yet, just being, and sometimes when I'd be sitting with my father out in the front yard in the sun, we'd be, we sun ourselves in the morning. And we'd be sitting out in the sun, and he'd be smoking a cigar, and he'd be looking at the ocean, and I'd be smelling the salt water through the cigar smoke. <laughs> and he'd be usually telling me about stock market things, or things like that. But now and then he'd say, you know, I've been dreaming a lot lately. 
say, yeah. And there'd just be these little intimate discussions, just a couple of minutes of intimacy. And then it was almost as if it was almost unbearable. He'd say, well, I think I've had enough sun now, and off he'd go. And I realized that that intimacy came out of the place that I had surrendered enough into his world. So he felt safe because I really wasn't anybody special anymore. Now, it was interesting that for me to do this, I have to keep everybody away from the house that it connects with Ramdas, because in the house I'm Richard. I'm rich. So they were down at the beach. The two ladies were down at the beach cavorting at 92 years old, you know, so cane in hand walking in the surf. And this fellow came along who was very nice, and he, at the end, he went, he said, well, uh, it's been nice visiting with you. He had a little son with him, and he went like this. And then one of them said, oh, isn't that interesting that you do that? My stepson does that. And he said, oh, yes. Uh, is he, uh, what does he do? Well, his name is Ramdas. He says, Ramdas. Wow. And so he followed them home. Okay. So now I had a new problem because the minute somebody comes in and says, Ramdas, I've got to be Ramdas, but I'm busy being rich. And rich is nobody special. And Ramdas is somebody, see? And so I'm trying to be somebody, nobody, somebody, nobody, see? And I was saying to the folks, I'll be right out. And I'll go in and see, and I'm getting like totally schizophrenic. So uh, I said to him, uh, I can't see you here. <laughs> now, you see, the option is to say, hey, come on in. You know, it's all family. We'll all be together. But it's a strong scene. And here's my father, who's 81, who has busy, been busy being somebody all his life. And he's now retired. And... Very few people are interested in his somebodyness anymore. I mean, here he was, he was a president of a railroad, he started a university, he was a brilliant lawyer, he was, you know, he did his whole thing. He raised a family, he supported them, he did everything beautifully. But now he's 81 and he's like left it behind, but, or he's been left behind. And he's not bitter, he's very, as long as you live in the moment with his wonderful wife and his great kid and his great scene around him, it's very rich. The minute there is another power game in the presence, he starts to feel insecure. And I can say, come on in, it's all wonderful and loving. But suddenly we're talking a language he doesn't quite understand, and he goes to tell a story, and everybody sort of is a little condescending because it's a kind of a long story about all the important people he knows. 
And all the young people are sort of saying, oh, yes, that's very interesting. But they're doing it because he's my father. And it's not, it doesn't feel good. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Okay. This is the kind of subtle stuff that I'm playing with all the time. And so I realize that if I'm going to honor him, I have to, when I'm in his space, I have to protect and preserve his space for him. Because my job isn't to proselytize my father. My job isn't to get him. I've told about, uh, I, I'm going to talk a lot this weekend about dying, and I, uh, I'm in the dying business, right? And, um, which is funny, because oftentimes I go to people because they're dying, and then they live, which is very confusing. And one night I was in a, my father was having a little um, bladder operation, but at 80 years old, or 79, it's a, any operation is a big operation. But he was pretty confident, and the night we were sitting looking at the ball game in the hospital, and it came time to leave in the evening, and the next morning at quarter of eight he was going to go to the operating room so I wouldn't see him. So my stepmother kissed him goodbye and left, and I was putting on my coat, well, Dad, have a good night, and have a good operation. And he says to me, say, Rich, he said, um, you're into all this stuff about... He says, I know this operation's nothing at all. It's a piece of cake. But he said, just in case it should go the other way, uh, you're in this business, what should I expect? This is as I'm putting on my coat and walking out the door, you know. It's like, don't freak me, but in 25 words or less, right? So I said to him, well, all I can say to you is that as good as this is, that's going to be better. And that wherever you go, I'll be waiting for you. He says, that's all I wanted to know. Have a good night. And out I went, okay? Now, how many years did we get ready to be able to say that to one another? And how much is it enough that he trusts me at a soul-to-soul -soul level? And what difference do all the forms make? How many Yahtzee games make a difference versus sitting and reading the Bhagavad Gita? If I sit in my room reading the Bhagavad Gita to protect myself, and downstairs he's feeling, Jesus, wouldn't it be nice if Rich would be down here with us a little bit? And, you know, but when we come down, he doesn't want to read the Bhagavad Gita. He goes to sleep. I say, let me read you this beautiful thing. And I start to read it, and he... Do you hear that, Dad? Very interesting. <laughs> he can go to sleep. Let's meditate, Dad. Okay. Follow your breath in and out. He's a great teacher for me. He's a beautiful teacher for me because he's saying, look, don't give me all your forms. I don't want your forms. If, it's like that wonderful fellow that... Um, he was with me in New Hampshire years ago, and he flipped out. And he flipped out, and he went off to Suzuki Roshi in California because he was, I was too evil. And he went to Suzuki Roshi, and he really flipped out there. And he ended up in a mental hospital in Ohio. His parents put him in a mental hospital. And he called me, and he said, I don't understand it. He said, about my parents. He says, when I go home, he said, when I talk to him about Buddhism, 
they get all upset because they're a Jewish family. They get all upset. He says, you know, when I'm the Buddha, they don't mind so much. And I heard in that the clear statement. You don't sit and talk about your methods. You be the product of your methods. That beautiful thing that I've been saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. The beautiful thing that Mahatma Gandhi wrote on that little piece of, of, of paper bag when the train was pulling out of the station and a reporter rushed up and said, Gandhiji, Gandhiji, give me some words to take back to my people. And he scribbled something. The train was already moving out of the station. He handed out this little piece of paper. And the guy took the paper and read it and it said, my life is my message. Not all the stuff I know, not all my methods, but what I am. And what I am should be able to play Yahtzee and should be able to be part of the environment because I'm nobody special. As long as I have to keep being special, I'm pushing it away. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of dying into the universe for fear it'll contaminate me. The only thing that contaminates me is me. 10,000 Yahtzee games aren't going to make any difference unless there's a place in me that is stuck somewhere. Otherwise, it is going to go through me like, as I always say, Chinese food. Here today, gone an hour later. Now, the result of a month of just surrendering into that scene is that I started about two days ago to get freaked at the thought of coming here to be with you. Because I thought, here I'm coming to be with a group of people that want Ramdas to be high. And I am so laden down with Mary Tyler Moore and lobster, you know, that how can I be what they want me to be? Now you hear, this is interesting, because this is all at the social psychological level of I want to be what my father wants me to be, and I want to be what you want me to be. That's all social psychological. Maharaji saying, Ramdas, your only friend is God. It's interesting, every night and every meal, I, I bless my food. Now that's one place that I didn't let go of this month. And we have this routine, which I've written about. Would you have this? There, I do it again. We have this routine where we sit down at the table, and my father, as he's sitting down, has the fork, and he lunges for the salad. Because somewhere, I thought it was subconscious, but I now think it's conscious, he knows that I'm going to pray and that he's going to have to wait. And he wants to get a good mouthful of food before he gets stuck in this prayer. I mean, 
right? So he takes a big mouthful of lettuce, and he goes, crunch. And I close my eyes, and I start a mumble, holy mumbles. I talk to God. Now, I'm aware. See, this is far out. I'm aware when I'm doing that that that's a power trip. Because I could lose myself, what, a few times, I really started to talk to God, and I forgot about them waiting to eat. And after a while, I heard a crunch, an angry crunch. In the, like, he wasn't going to sit with that wilting mouthful of lettuce forever, you know. I mean, it's one thing to talk to God a reasonable length of time. It's another thing to go into an ecstasy state. But that little blessing has become a kind of a family fixture in which, as soon as I finish, he says, Amen, and he goes on with his lettuce. And one day he didn't say Amen, and the whole family stopped. And nobody could eat until he said Amen. He had forgotten. And, but everybody got so tuned to that, that ritual, and the ritual was something everybody enjoyed in their own way. Now, the grandmother is 92, and my dealings with her are helping her upstairs, helping her downstairs, helping her into the car and out of the car. I make her breakfast. I prick her flowers in the morning, and I take my walks. I bring her shells. I let her tell me the same story like 14, 15 times. Because you can see her a whole associative track now, and you drive by a certain hotel, and she says, that hotel looks just like the hotel that Nan and Fred were in. They went on the train that day, and then, the, and I think, yes, and then, and I can tell the whole, and it's with the same inflections. And Now, is it being not honest? All the time I hold her hand, and I flirt with her, she was my date for the month. And she got all kittenish. And I danced with her and sing By the Light of the Moon and Sweet Adeline. I'm not giving you a fait accompli here. I'm not here to be uh, presenting myself any longer, you know, as what you can hope to be if you're good. <laughs> I mean, this is the nitty-gritty of it. This is it. This is the stuff of the journey. This is what it is to play in the marketplace. These are the decisions you make each day. Now, what I am confronted with when I'm doing that is my own desires that have laid dormant inside of me as long as I stayed around satsang and as long as I stayed in holy settings.
You know, I found there were all, there were, the thing isn't clean yet because it was a confusion of my serving my father at one level, my needing his love at another level, and my own desires for the passive enjoyment of watching Mary Tyler Moore, whatever that is. You know, and my gambling instincts at Yahtzee. I'm going to talk to us sometime, I guess, probably after a break this morning, about nothing and nobody. That's the quiet mind part of it. But getting to that space, getting to that space, takes you have to be able to stand where there's no protection you can't protect yourself from yourself you just can't do it there is a stage when you can do it there is a stage where you've just started to taste of the spirit and you want to be around other people of the spirit and you want to build your confidence and your strength and your connectedness and then it's all really great. But if you pushed anything away, if there's anything you're afraid of in life, it's costing you. If there's anything you are afraid of in life, it is costing you cost me, I know that. And so now, in this strange, bizarre way to me, I am more in the world than I ever was when I was in the world. And yet, I am not. But it almost sounds like a hollow statement as I'm sitting there putting boiling lobsters in water and listening to the news and waiting to play Yahtzee and having my, um, what was I drinking, margaritas. Drink before dinner. If everybody in the family, you're not going to have a drink? Oh, he doesn't drink. Now, many of you say, you didn't have to drink to tell your father you love. I can hear it. I can hear it. I can hear it. No, but I wanted the margarita. Boy, the abode's going to think twice about inviting people like me again. <laughs> I'd sit there and I'd think, boy, how much further does this game go? I mean, really? 
But the only difference, I don't even know how to say it. I can only say that I'm sitting there putting the lobster in the, I'm, I get a take of this, holding the lobster, saying goodbye to it, drinking the margarita with the news on the television set right there, okay? I'm just loaded with greed and stimulation at that moment, okay? And at the same moment, there's a part of me that's saying, far out, Whew, dig this. Okay. There's a space that is involved in which the whole thing is happening. And it's the difference, the way my image of it has been, is the, a picture frame with a cloud in it, and the cloud fills the frame so there's no sky, so you just think it's, a, it's just a gray piece of paper. But the minute you put a little blue sky around the edges, you're suddenly aware, oh, that's a cloud. It's what uh, Trungpa Rinpoche calls spaciousness. And it's not, he's not the first person to call it, it's that it's mindfulness, it's awareness, it's by any number of names. But it means that there is a context that has no definition, that is merely, ah, a context in which it's all happening. And then the stuff just keeps happening, and it just keeps happening, and it's so many... It can be spiritual meetings, it can be working in the garden, it can be martinis, it can be lobsters, it can be whatever. So many of it go by until your desire systems are cooked, just like the lobster. And only when the desire systems are cooked is perception clear. And then, when that is clear, then I will be with my father in a way that is harmonious with everything I know about the spirit, and he will not be offended, and that in me, which is the spirit, will not be offended. That will only come when my desire, when my perception is unclouded by longing or by desire. As long as I desire to please my father, I still don't know how to honor my father. Can you hear that one? Okay. Being a good son and him saying, geez, you're a great son, that isn't good enough. That isn't good enough. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you. Thank you.